Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. This week's guest is David Wayne. He's a writer, director, actor, comedian, talented musician, and aspiring magician, among other things. It's great to have you back, David. Always great to be back, Brett. How are you? This is like your fourth time. Could be. You know, I was just I was just talking to a friend of mine because people do ask me a lot to be on random podcasts, and I basically usually say no. But when it's somebody sort of nerdy like you, I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> wow, thank you, thank you. That is a, that's an honor. Why don't you have a podcast? Uh, haven't gotten around to it. I I, I will. I'm sure. I feel like if there's one thing the world needs right now, it's another white guy doing a podcast. Exactly. That's sort of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) sort of the problem with anything I want to do these days. I I have to think, though, if you were going to do a podcast, you would do something. I'm going to say it would be uh, clever, heartwarming, and slightly uncomfortable. Could be. I mean, although I've thought about doing podcasts about topics that are completely outside of what people think of me as, you know, like, like using a podcast as a, as an avenue to talk about something totally different, you know, or do a, or do a podcast just about like Rubik's cubing or something. I don't know. Like of actual interest to you or just so out there, it throws everyone off. No, of interest to me, but just on different slice. I would but then again, I, maybe I'm not as widely, uh, I don't have as much breadth as I think I do. And so it would be pointless. <laughs> All right. Well, so last time we talked, uh, what Hot American Summer first day of camp was, I think, just coming out. Oh, my goodness. That must have been like four years ago. This was 2015. Wow. Yeah. Okay, six years ago. Um, so since then, you've had a, your, your, IMDb, your IMDb page uh, lists a lot of things. I know that uh, you did a Netflix, what do you want to call it, a pandemic comedy? Thriller? Well, action? Well, I mean, after that, we, I actually did two other things on Netflix before that. I made a movie, which was a biopic about um, Doug Kenny, the founder of National Lampoon mm-hmm. and the maker of Animal House. And then I did the Wet Hot American Summer 10 Years Later miniseries. Um, and then not too long after that, we did this show that you're talking about called Medical Police, which is sort of a spinoff of our other show from Adult Swim, Children's Hospital, but is a action, comedy, globetrotting, Mission Impossible, James Bond kind of show that we made for very little money about a worldwide pandemic and two doctors who are recruited to become CIA type agents to help figure out the conspiracy. And they have to go all over the world with guns and and uh, and their medical smarts. And it's called Medical Police, but it's very silly and funny. <laughs> and uh, you, released, you released it just under the wire to not be current events. Correct. Yes. It was about a worldwide pandemic and we, you know, it aired on Netflix in January of 2020. <laughs> um, so timing was not great on any level. <laughs> well, did, so I know that what, uh, March, April, uh, the number one movie on Netflix was Contagion. Uh-huh. Like right. It's, and it showed up at like top movies on iTunes, all of these pandemic movies. Did, did, uh, did the, uh, Medical police. Have- <laughs> I don't think I don't think we received that sort of bump. I, I, I think people didn't weren't aware that uh, of the topic of our show. I mean, it really isn't as much. It's not really an exploration of what a pandemic is like as much as it is just a dumb, funny comedy. Um, and it's a very funny, very dumb comedy. And I highly recommend everyone check it out. 
So, well, okay. What is your, what's your kind of pitch? To watch the show? Yeah. Um, like I, I get what it's about. I get the, I get the rough elevator pitch, but how would you sell it? I would say, well, I would give you two, I give you two pitches. One is if you're at all familiar with any of my previous work, whether it's Wet Hot American Summer or Role Models or Children's Hospital or The State or anything like that, then you will definitely, definitely love this show. It's a great addition to the canon of very, of a very specific comedic sensibility that, uh, you will like if you liked any of those things I just mentioned. On the other hand, if you're not familiar, and also if you ever saw the show Children's Hospital, this is a direct spinoff of that with the same characters. Um, if you're not familiar with any of that, I still recommend it on this regard, which is to say um, it's a uniquely funny, very fast-paced, fun-to-watch, 10-episode action comedy series uh, with uh, one storyline that takes you in a suspenseful way from beginning to end, um, where you're kind of involved in the storyline as well as being, you know, entertained with comedy from beginning to end. And um, it's also got an incredible all-star cast, including Henry Winkler. And um, I mean, there's just a... Chris Pine was in it, right? Chris Pine Oh, no, he was in Wet Hot, Wet Hot American Summer. That's right. Um but it's it's a it's an incredible ensemble cast, and it's uh, Jason Schwartzman is in it, and it's it's um it's fun for anybody who likes anything funny. Yeah, I I binged it right after it came out, and I thought, oh, he doesn't need to hear from some random podcaster who who enjoyed the show. But I did enjoy the show. I'm glad. I'm glad you checked it out. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It got great reviews. It did not do great in terms of people watching it. A lot of them, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So how, what goes into, uh, okay. So it wasn't a smash hit. It didn't make anyone millions of dollars. Well, what? of course on Netflix, you, they, you never really find out any specific numbers anyway. Really? That you just sort of goes on and then that's the end of it. Even if it does well. Um, but they probably would have ordered another, another series if they loved it, if, if it did really <laughs> well, which it did. So how do you get a show from, from your uh, laptop idea sketches to a Netflix show? Like, what's the process there? Well, I'm sure for every show, it's a very different answer. Um, I could certainly answer in the case of this one. We had, there's four of us that created this show together. Um, And we created it as an idea of how can we, we had ended Children's Hospital in 2013 and we, wanted to find, figure out a way to, we, we missed it and we missed the cast and we missed the, the whole group of, of creative people that worked together on it. And we also missed the world that we had created, but we also felt like the show we had done for seven seasons on Adult Swim, which was a 15 minute hospital drama, hospital comedy in the form of a drama, um, had done, it was done. And what could we do that was new and different, but kept what we loved. And so we just brainstormed for a while, um, sitting in the backyard and ultimately landed on this idea of doing what I described, this uh, bigger palette action, half hour long comedy that has uh, a much wider scope to it. Um, and, and, and the children's hospital as a joke kept mentioning, oh, by the way, this is all takes place in Brazil. And then we decided in the medical police to 
open that up in a real way and actually make it feel like it really was in Brazil, at least to start. And then it goes all over the world during the series. Anyway, so the, to answer your question, we brainstormed it and then we pitched it to the production company, which was Warner Brothers, that we had done Children's Hospital with. They liked it. And then we wrote a script, I'm trying to remember now, that was um, that was passed on by another network. I can't remember who we wrote it for. Um, and then even though uh, that happened after that, we were able to make a deal. Warner Brothers, the, the studio, was able to make a deal with Netflix to to make the show for a for a certain price. And so, it doesn't sound very um, glamorous or fun of a story, but that's how it, that's how that came to be in terms of going from idea to green light. So, and it was, but but everything I just said was like three years sure. going. Like it was not a, a quick process by any stretch. So once you once Netflix picked it up, then yeah, you go straight into production. Like you, you are the producer on that show, right? I'm the producer. I mean, basically, the four of us that I mentioned, we were all producers. My, myself and Christopher Johnson and John Stern and Rob Corddry, and uh, we each did different. You know, we had different sort of specialties. John Stern was also more of the nuts and bolts production company that that got the thing done in a certain way. Um, but yeah, essentially once we got a green light, the four of us started to hire people, uh, look at, start figuring out casting and then start writing. We had, we had written the pilot, which was the first of the 10 episodes. And now we had to write the rest of the 10 episode long story, which we really didn't have any clue of when we wrote the pilot really. Um, and so we really had to we got uh, writers together in a room and put up a bunch of, of index cards and a ton of Google Docs and just started piece by piece trying to um, assemble what is essentially a five-hour-long movie. <laughs> um, and then at the same time, try to figure out how we're going to shoot it because we didn't have – we had the budget of essentially a public access show to shoot a big, wide-scale action story. And so – called on a lot of my experience and all of our experience to um, find all the tricks in the book to to make one location look like 20 and to make a backyard look like Africa and on and on and on. And we ended up figuring out a way to shoot a quarter of it in uh, Croatia uh, for very little. And that was an amazing experience. We were there for 10 days of shooting. Um, and it gave the whole show a ton of production value to, to shoot there. And it was really fun. So how many people, uh, I get, how many writers were there? Well, it was really the four of us that did a lot of the writing. And then we had, um, this room of, I guess, I think it was probably four other writers that were with us for a limited time. Um, and so they helped us brainstorm and they wrote some drafts and then we came and we did a lot of, we did, the four of us did the work of figuring out everything before and after the writer's room. Um, if it were a huge budget show, how many writers would there be just for comparison? Oh, I think on a show like this, probably at least 10, if not more, and m much more importantly, all of whom would be on for much longer. Sure. Um, and so we basically, yeah, we, we got everything we could out of these talented people we hired, but they were really only there for a relatively short time. So did everyone... 
get paid? Like, was this a good experience, whether it was a huge smash hit for downloads or not? What, did everyone come out okay? Well, I mean, everyone got paid a salary to do the work. It was Nobody got paid what you would think of as, I mean, you know, working in television is very, there's great variance and it's all relative. Sure. Uh, you certainly get paid better than doing a lot of real, quote, normal jobs. Um, <laughs> uh, but compared to pretty much any other TV show, anything like this, we probably were right on the bottom scale of what everybody got paid. But it's okay. I mean, you know, no, certainly no complaints from me on, or anybody on that. And a lot of people, though, that we had worked with on other things like Children's Hospital and other shows couldn't do this because the pay was too low. Sure. And we understood, you know, that's just, this is just, this was one of those crazy shows where we're like, we're trying to shove a square peg of this <laughs> show into this budget, which is not the best way to work normally. <laughs> um, you usually try to get the budget you need to properly make the show. Um, and, but m often it's the opposite and you, they're like, here's the number, make it work. And so that's what we did. And a lot of people's were like, you know what, this just, doesn't work for me money-wise. And we're like, we get it. And then find somebody else. But um, at the end of the day, everyone who worked on it did it largely, you know, at least in part because they just enjoyed this experience and this group of people. And um, so it was, it was a joy. Can you give me one example of a trick that you dug deep and pulled out to uh, to, to make something look bigger budget than it was. Sure. Well, um, there's so many, but for example, the show takes place in part in the, the cent, the, it begins and ends in Brazil at the home base hospital. Um, and then there's one episode that takes place in China. Um, and so we we realized that, you know, when you're making a TV show, when you're moving locations from one to another, that costs money and time that we didn't have for the most part. Um, and so we had to limit the number of different locations you could shoot in LA a lot. We could, in fact, I think we only did four total. Um, and so we found a hospital that was in Chinatown in LA so that we, and in fact, literally right out the back parking lot of the hospital was the edge of the touristy Chinatown district. And so that was a way that we were able to, without even moving one vehicle, be able to shoot China stuff and hospital stuff all at once. Nice. Um, and then we would, we did all the tricks in the book. We redressed rooms in the hospital to be different scenes from every episode. We, we also shoot bits and pieces of every episode every day um, in order to amortized costs and, you know, keep everything together. So we never have to go return to a location. Um, and we just faked every which way we would shoot sometimes many times we'd have a scene where we had an actor talking to another actor, but the one actor was in LA and the other actor was in Croatia. So we didn't have to fly anybody one, one direction or the other. Um, and we did a ton of things with VFX and, where, you know, we, we were, for example, I mean, most shows do this now more and more, but every time anyone got in a car, uh, we just put up a screen behind them. So we didn't have to do any green screen or anything. And you would just see the, the background moving and get it all done, you know, in one day. Yeah. Um, 
and 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 just basically we 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 wouldn't find a location unless we could shoot shoot it to look like 10 different locations. Sure. It sounds like a lot of planning. Like in the in the writer's yeah. room, once you have the script, do you end up then like dissecting it to fi- try to figure out the most effective way to shoot everything? Yeah, well that's that's me and the, the, in this case there was another director Bill Benz um working with um our first AD Doug who and first assistant director, and that's his job to take the material, break it into pieces, and then start the puzzle. And the puzzle involves not just locations, but uh, actor availabilities, which is huge when you're not paying people because then you're not their first priority. And so you have to take actors whenever they're available. Um, and also working with you know a million different factors and moving it around like a jigsaw puzzle until you've got a board that makes sense. And then of course, in a show like this, then when you're done, you're like, okay, but then when are we going to shoot the rest of it? (laughs) And you're like, well, fit that in there too, somehow in the, in the very short shoot schedule, a typical show like this on a sort of in the real way to do it. Each of these episodes would probably be, I don't know, eight to 10 days shoot. And we did each of these in four days. So with a show like this for a service like Netflix, do you get a deadline or is it, you just turn it over when it's ready. No, we had a, a deadline. We had, I mean, we had a deadline both for just what, what we agreed on with Netflix. And also if we went any over schedule, we also ran out of money. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, we definitely were racing the whole time, but we knew it at, you know, it was, I think with all these things, I learned this on my first movie. If you look at these things, literally like a, a puzzle, like a game, or like a video game, instead of something to get stressed out about, then that's how you'd get through it. And um, that, so that's 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 what what I try to do mentally. So was it fun? It was mostly really fun. I mean, you know, sometimes, obviously, I, you know, I would get stressed, just like in any job. Um, but I also got very sick at, during parts of it. Weirdly, I, I, there were a couple of days that I had to leave early and somebody else had to fill in while we, because it was, it was a, a grueling amount of work, but, um, for the most part, it was super fun. It was playing, you know, making comedy with friends and running around and coming up with funny ideas. And, and, and also, as I said, the travel to Croatia was just a really cool experience. Awesome. So aside from a movie and a TV show and all of the things that you've uh, published kind of in the, we'll say commercial world since lockdown, you've been doing a crazy amount of content creation on TikTok. Uh, I think I, I saw your stuff on YouTube, but I think it was maybe from Vimeo. Um, well, I would say mo- uh, it, it's the, the original content I tend to put out is on Instagram or TikTok. And I guess it's on my YouTube too. It's all, it's sort of doubled on YouTube and Instagram, but then TikTok kind of has its own set of things. But I mean, I'm not nearly, just to be clear, like not even close to as uh, productive in terms of making stuff as so many people are. Um, I don't have a YouTube channel that I'm pumping out stuff all the time well, or every day, and, I don't. but I, I have, I have been just keeping busy. I know it's not polite, but you are 50 years old. Correct. And Correct. I don't think anyone, I, I think the amount of content you put out is um, very respectable for someone <laughs> who is even older than I am. I don't even well, have me, a TikTok account. 
<laughs> I guess it's all just where you put your emphasis. I mean, I, I have two kids at, at home who don't go to school, you know, they have on zoom school. Yeah. Um, and you know, the lockdown has its mental toll as did the election. Um, and I went through some other personal things this year. And so, yeah, it was juggling all that with trying to figure out how to make a living. Uh, and in many ways, the making little videos was a little bit of a respite for me, an outlet or something fun to do that um, gave me some pleasure uh, during these challenging times. And, and uh, uh, which has kind of always been the case. That's that's how I had fun when I was 11 and it still is when I'm 51. Um, so one of the things that happened during the, when the lockdown first began, I saw all this kind of unstructured time in front of me. And for the, I said, I'm going to just start making cover songs on like playing the drums and getting my friends to do different parts. And with absolutely no thought as to whether there would be any reason to do. I mean, I, I, to this day, I end up making 17 of these covers so far and they're go on Instagram. People like them, but that's it. You know, there's no, um, there's no financial backend for me doing this in any way. And it's not really what I do, but I have a blast and people seem to like them and that's the end of it, you know, and that seems to be a lot of what social media is these days. It's just, just for its own sake. Here, I did this. Here you go. Okay, next. <laughs> the cover songs are great. There's a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of energy and love in those. The 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 series that was most um, I guess most intriguing to me in a in a very kind of weird way was the if they sucked kind of series that you did. What if they sucked? Yeah. yeah. Um, you want me to say what that is? Yeah, I'll let you explain. Uh, basically, uh, it just says. Uh, there, I think I made like six of them. I take a band that I love from the old days and I say, I love this band, but what if they sucked? And then I have a video of one of their famous songs, but I've taken apart all the pieces of the video and shifted them around. I mean, of the, the music and I've shifted them around just enough. So it sounds awful. Like, so it makes you want to kill yourself when you listen to it. <laughs> right. Like the ACDC one, especially. Yeah. Some of some of the like the the lyrics will start in on a beat, but it'll be two beats early. Right. And right. you won't immediately be like, oh, well, that's off. It'll just feel like the Joan Jet one was way more obvious. That was and then you yeah, they're, they, they vary in, in levels of obviousness, but yeah, it's but just some of it's them just were almost and, subtle. Sometimes if you, but the, the subtle ones will bug you even more sometimes oh, in a funny, sure. in a fun way. Yeah. If you just take like the vocal track and move it a quarter of a second early on any song it, and it's just like, Oh God, I, I can't do this. And it's, it's really fun. So are while you're doing that, are you, I, I'm trying to imagine what your face is like. Are you very serious, like trying to perfect the imperfection or are you laughing the whole time? Both. I mean, I always, you know, I have very, very uh, selective ability to focus depending on what I'm doing. But when I'm sort of dicking around with that kind of thing, video editing on the computer, I can just twiddle with it for hours and hours without ever even remembering to go to the bathroom or anything. Um, so many other things that I have to do, it takes a lot for me to sit down and focus. Um, 
but I love doing those little weird experiments. So like, what if I could do this? You know, I just started a new thing on TikTok where I'm playing on the piano songs yeah. from the nineties that I never heard of that right. most people have. And just looking at the lyrics and chords and seeing what comes out. I, Cause I do that for my kids sometimes at night. They're like, play this song. And I'm like, I don't know the song. And I'm like, well, they just play it, play it anyway. And then what comes out is so disastrous. And so I tried it. I would have enjoyed those videos more if I had ever heard the original original songs. Right. Boy, definitely. In, that's why that's why they're boat. on TikTok. <laughs> I I would have to go look up the original, listen to that, and then go back and hear your version of it to oh, understand. Yeah, not, not, not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've also uh you've been getting into magic. How long has that been going on? Magic's been always since yeah. I'm five years old or younger even. Um definitely been sort of an ongoing uh, obsession that comes and goes and how completely dominant it is in my life. But it's been now maybe 15 years that I really stepped it up. I just started really studying cards and wanting to, wanting to get good and understand it. Uh, again, just really for my own enjoyment. I, I don't have any particular professional outlet for it, but I, uh, I practice all the time. I, I just, I'm learning moves and effects and and subtleties and just studying and reading. It's just a, a, a hobby, something I enjoy. What's your favorite trick? Right now, oh, I mean. Well, um, I don't know. I'm just I'm I I just I just actually bought a trick that you can like buy offline that I really have been having fun with called uh, Killer in Manila, um, where you uh, give somebody a deck of cards and they can pick anyone they want and they sign the card and then very clearly put it back in the deck, shuffle the deck, spread it out. And the whole time they are holding this envelope that you have. And then you open up the envelope and inside is a smaller envelope and inside the smaller envelope is the card that they just signed. What? That's pretty cool. Nice. Um, my friend Victor Agreta Jr. Uh, does a uh, Instagram, I think he did it on Instagram where he would like, uh, demo some of the famous tricks you could buy and kind of explain, uh, mm. explain the trick, not how it's done. He wasn't like giving away magician secrets or anything, but like kind of demoing classic magic tricks. It was fun to watch. Well, the magic review, uh, space on social media has exploded in the last few years. There's many, many magic trick review channels and it's a fun little subculture to pay attention to. Well, uh, I'll have to look that up for the show notes. What else has kept you sane aside from content creation and, and missing your shooting schedule and having kids at home? What, what's your, what's your go-to, uh, sanity measure? I mean, I've just been doing kind of the classic stuff. I've tried to meditate. I've been playing tennis. I, uh, try to do some yoga here and there. I try to turn off my screens and spend time with human beings and animals as much as I can. I know you're into animals. Oh yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just been, um, I try to really connect with my friends, uh, in ways that I can. Um, but it's challenging. It's been a tough year, I think for everybody in different ways. Everyone's been dealt different versions of horror this year. I assume you play um, tennis in person with people. Do you do yoga over zoom? Uh, yes. Or just by myself. Yes. 
Oh yeah, um, your, own, your your own personal practice. Well, I mean, or I just like go and do a YouTube. Like this morning, I did a YouTube yoga for ten minutes. You know, All right. <laughs> don't don't get too impressed. When I was in my, I'm I'm as we mentioned more than once, fifty one years old. But in uh, in my twenties, uh, I was into Ashtanga yoga in my mid twenties for a very short time. But for that period, I was going six days a week for a ninety minute session. Um, unguided yoga insanity. And I, I was in great shape, but it kind of was the only thing in my life. 90 minutes, six days a week. Yeah. Wow. It was, I and then, you know, and then going and coming of... back, you know, it, I was unemployed at the time. Um, as I am now, but I couldn't do that again. Wow. Yeah. I love yoga. I've been doing yoga for years and I, I could never, could never imagine even, I don't need, I, I do one hour, three to five times a week, max. Five. That's massive. Yeah, but that's great. I mean, that, that's all you need. That's wonderful. You must be in great shape. I, I have gained weight over the last year that I'm yeah. not, I'm not super psyched about, but I'm also kind of, it is what it is. This is what my body has decided to be. I've maintained my flexibility. I, I feel good. So yeah, I'm doing all yeah, right. That's, feeling good is definitely better than looking good. <laughs> yep. Despite what Fernando used to say on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> What's the first thing you're going to do once uh, once things get back to a semi-open state? Like what's what got put on hold that you can't wait to get back to? Um, there's so many things. Uh, and of course, the the road back is going to be so gradual and slow. I don't think there's, you know, we all know it's not going to be like, everything's open now. Yep, yep. Um, but I would say going to the movies, going to the theater are big ones, both for me. Also um, going to live music, going dancing. I mean, not that I do these things that often, but <laughs> I would say also just like freely congregating with my friends is probably number one, just to like hang out with friends, you know, and yeah. then... Um, also, just other things I like to do that I haven't been able to do this whole time. Play squash, for example. Um, we have a, a weekly frisbee game we do with with families, like an ultimate frisbee game, that's been on hold for a long time. And um, yeah, just normal life. And and my, and just the I mean the biggest one in my life by far is having my children be able to go to school. <laughs> sure. Um, which will affect them and me very enormously. I. I, I will say that I, I don't know you well, but I did not expect your answer to be sports and partying. Well, I guess maybe that's – since that's the first thing that came to mind, maybe that's where my true heart is. <laughs> oh, very revealing. All right. What's it's, not sport, it's not watching sports, certainly. <laughs> Here's a random question for you. Mm -hmm. What would you say your sense of humor was in middle school? Or junior high, depending on your school curriculum. Identical. Yeah? I mean, I know it is because people who knew me back then, who I still talk to, will tell me that. And I just know, I mean, it's I've sort of, in many ways, I, I've, I've largely spent my professional career and just my adulthood just honing the sense of humor I had when I was 12. What uh? What TV shows were what? What comedic TV shows were, uh, kind of top of 
top of list for you, middle school, high school age? It was really Woody Allen movies and Steve Martin specials okay. from NBC that I watched on Beta Max over and over and over. Um, and I mean, I also watched Saturday Night Live reruns a lot and uh, SCTV. But um, it was it was those twin poles of Woody Allen and Steve Martin that just sort of got in my craw, I think. All right. Mentally. I, yeah, I asked because I was it, at that age, I was watching like The State and Kids in the Hall. And, wow. Uh, like, yeah, I'm, I'm 10 years younger than you. Um, All right. So I was just wondering what you were watching. Yeah, I mean, age. SCTV was the one that I watched and was like, that was the most direct mirror of like, I want to do that. And then and ended up trying to do that. And and I think when we arrived at this doing the state in our early 20s, I felt like we all came to it with a certain idea of what kind of thing we wanted to emulate. And for some, it was more specifically Monty Python and more specifically SNL or something. For me, it was SCTV. I'm like, those guys look like they were just like in the middle of, you know, out outside the mainstream of anything just dicking around and having a blast and being so funny and i was just like that's that sounds great to me this episode of systematic is sponsored by uber for business finding simple and effective ways to keep employees engaged and customers happy is always top of mind for business owners and managers and that is especially challenging when face-to-face -face interaction is limited you trust uber as a way to request rides and order meals from restaurants you love but Uber also has a platform designed specifically for businesses. Over 160,000 companies use Uber for business to improve customer and employee satisfaction. Having a hard time getting people to show up or stay engaged in virtual team meetings or events? With vouchers from Uber for business, you can add $20 to their personal Uber account so they can easily order meals through Uber Eats before the meeting. Or... Offer your customers a voucher for a free meal or ride when they make their first purchase or spend a certain amount. It's a great way to make your happy customers even happier. Any company can sign up for free and immediately start delivering extra value to the people who matter most to their business. Vouchers are simple to send and to redeem. Your business has total control over who gets them, when they expire, and what portion of the ride or meal you want to cover. Vouchers are shared via email or text and can be redeemed with a single tap. Best of all, you only pay for rides they take or meals they order. Right now, Uber for Business is offering companies a $50 voucher credit when you spend your first $200 with vouchers. Go to uber.com slash systematic pod to learn more. That's uber.com slash systematic pod for a $50 voucher credit. Terms and conditions do apply, so be sure to read up when taking advantage of this great offer. And thanks to Uber for Business for sponsoring this episode. All right. So... Since the last time you were here, I have stopped doing my own top three picks. We only talk about your top three picks. Because you ran out. I did. I did. A few years of a few years of three picks a week. Uh, I, I did. I, th I think I picked everything. I feel like that's very, that's, I don't know. I know. I think you're being lazy. <laughs> Here's the thing is I keep a few in my back pocket. Yeah. So I'll I'll slip them in where, I, but I don't have an official. These are my three. I mean, Tim Ferriss figures it out every week. No <laughs> offense. I, I never claim not to be lazy. <laughs> um, by the way, I'm reading off my list uh, in NV Ultra. 
You want to say anything nice about NB Ultra? Yeah, that's going to be my bonus. I'm going to say it right now, which is that <laughs> um, I waited for, what was it, like 14, 15 years for you to finally get this <laughs> stupid thing out. And then now, but now that it's here, I love it. It's, uh, should, it is my daily everything. clarify that the beta is here. It's still not commercially yeah. available. And how long has it been in beta? A year at least now? I'd say more. I'd say two. Is that, is that, yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault at this point. Like All right. the guy, Fletcher Penny, who I am partnered up with on this project, he's yes. also an ER doctor. And Whoa. yeah, he, he's an ER doctor and he's in the middle of adopting a child. And uh, while he loves NV Ultra and we have like, we're absolutely going to finish it. His schedule tends to be um, a little more hit and miss than mine does. And there's no one to delegate to? Uh, no, there are. There, Each of us have parts of it that can't go on without us. And right. It's, I get uh, it. I if he were that. to die, if something were horrible were to happen to him, I would be in trouble. God forbid. And NV Ultra would be in trouble. So thoughts and prayers. Yeah. Let's keep it going. Um, well, I'm honored to be among the beta testers then. And uh, I honestly would not be happy without it. I would figure something out, but, uh, <laughs> that's great to hear. I'd, I would, I would, I would hate to you. I would hate to be so indispensable that you risked losing anything if I failed. Well, that's part of the design of NB ultra is that it's not a uh, roach motel. Exactly. Um, anyway, good job. Thank you. Uh, all right. You want to hear some other things? Yeah. Let's hear your first pick. First pick is five years late, but none none the wiser the, the the tv show the leftovers um i just watched the entire three seasons in the last couple of weeks um and what can i say it's it, it shot up to my top five favorite shows of all time i would say what is it about i don't think i've seen this it's it was an hbo show starring justin thoreau um about a moment in 2000 in 2012 two percent of the entire world's population disappeared without explanation. And the show is literally about the aftermath of that event and how this, well, the main character is the, is a local sheriff in a town in New Jersey, but then it goes from there into the most unexpected, unpredictable places. But it's an amazing, amazing TV show that does everything you want in a TV show. It, it keeps you uh, on your toes the entire time it's always surprising it's always interesting it's always thought-provoking it's always fun to watch i think when i saw the original trailers for this i was worried that it was a left behind situation in terms of what did you ever see left behind or read no. those books i grew up in a very fundamentalist home where this series called left behind about like the rapture is this right. like fictional fictionalized idea of like half of the world disappears one day because they got called back into heaven and right, then it's right. the, like the life of the poor sinners left behind. It was, uh, it, it, yeah, I have, I, I have scarring from, well, from that whole theology. There are people, there are characters in this show that think that's what this is or what, or what it might've been, um, or, or that it's discussed by some in the show, but one of the things that's so interesting about it is they never say what happened or why. Oh, wow. uh, and they never quite, it's never quite, a lot of people 
are exploring or trying to figure out, or there's people who feel like they've gone into some other side or, but, but it's entirely grounded story. There's nothing in it that indicates anything magic or supernatural happened except for this one thing that has no explanation. Is the series over now? Yeah, it was only three years on um, HBO and it was one of those shows sort of like the Americans that just didn't get the, the kudos it was supposed to. It was just so underseen. Um, but it was for anyone who discovered it, they're like, yeah, this is like, are you kidding me? This should win every award there is. So just asking as someone who is likely to binge it, does it have a satisfying ending? Yes. Okay. It's got a great ending. Excellent. Did you see the Americans? I didn't. Oh, another similar in that it's one of those shows that not enough people saw and it's just so satisfying. And the Americans after seven seasons, I think has one of the greatest last episodes of any show I've ever seen. Duly noted. And that I remember watching the last episode of the Americans on my laptop under the blankets because I was in a hotel room (laughs) with my kids while they were sleeping in some ranch in Colorado and crying my eyes out. <laughs> wow. All right. All right. That's two um, shows I have to binge now. Okay. The next one, you ready for the next one? Yes, sir. It's a band uh, called Hello Forever. Um, and a friend of mine found, sort of discovered this somewhere and we just started listening to all of their music and they have some videos and stuff, but it's the music to me. That's just so they're from Topanga, California, and they have this sort of, um, hard to describe, uh, sensibility where it feels sort of, it's so gloriously happy in a certain way, uh, in a way that you feel very needful of these days. Sure. Um, it has a very optimistic flavor to it, but it's also not simple music. It's it's complex and it's very kitchen sinky in a way. It's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I think there's a ton of people in the band. Um, and I'm just really enjoying watching them. They, I think they're relatively new on the scene. Uh, and I think they just have one album out and they're great. Came out in 2020. There you go. Rough time to rough rough time to tour after an album release. Yeah, yeah. I think you know I have a lot of friends who make their living entirely by being actors on stage and on Broadway. You know, that's just there's still no real roadmap as to how that comes back or when. Yeah. Among many, among a million other things that can't happen right now. Yeah. Okay. What's your third pick? Um. The the VR game Eleven, um, which is, well, I have it on the Oculus Quest, and it is as close to an actual replication of a real life game as I've ever seen, and it's a it's a table tennis game. Okay. Um, and the physics and the movement and the whole way it works, you, I just don't know that there's that much difference between that and really playing table tennis. And except for that, you can play anytime 24 seven with anyone in the world. And, um, you can also practice on, you know, it's just, it's really fun. And I've, I've, I've had it on my Oculus quest for, since I've had the Oculus quest for almost a year, but I have just recently started to become truly obsessed with it. And I even bought 
on Etsy a little handle so that it makes my VR controller feel exactly like a uh, a ping pong paddle. Nice. Um, and uh, it's really fun. You just go on any time and there's always someone there who will play with you and you can say hello and then you can just try your hardest. And I'm pretty much not, I'm I'll usually lose. And so I've got a lot of work ahead of me, which is fun. This is, you are the third guest in the last three months and the second guest in a row to talk about the Oculus Quest. And every time I hear about it, I'm a little more inclined to try one out. I'm, I can't believe you, you, you're waiting. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a, I don't play a lot of video games. I don't either. I've never been, I don't, I'm not a gamer. In fact, my, my kids broke me down and we finally got a PS5 in this house and I'm not even interested in, I'm not going to turn it on, but the quest is a kind of a different world. All right. I, <laughs> yep. That's one, one more, one more straw. I also enjoy the, another thing I really like on quest is that I get connected to friends that I otherwise can't see, even, you know, whether it's geographical or quarantine reasons. Um, I'll, I get a text from somebody. It's like, Hey, you want to play a round of mini golf? And then, yeah, yeah, let's go. And then we just get to chat for 20 minutes and play a game and then we're done, you know? Yeah. I could, that's actually really nice. Yeah. Cause it's a Cause pain to it, like, just, Hey, do you want to have a zoom call and just sit and look at each other and talk? Right. Exactly. Well, there's a, um, there's two very distinct genres, I think of things on the, on VR games in general. There's this super noisy, like, um, you know, uh, electric daisy carnival inspired sure. <laughs> insane in your face games, which are most of them. And then there's a big growing slice of just like relaxing games, um, like mini golf and table tennis. And they're really fun. Awesome. Yeah. I really, I'll wait until my next paycheck, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to check this out because I've heard yeah. about it. I've heard about it from multiple people who aren't real, who, who are in no way like gamers. Right. It's definitely the game system for the rest of us. Yeah. That's um, cool. And I think that for me, when we shut down and I saw that my kids aren't going to leave the house for very long stretches of time, that's when I was like, screw it. This is happening. And, uh, you know, there are, also, there are also, there's movies and other 360 experiences you can have on the quest where you get us feeling like you're somewhere else, which is kind of nice. So where should people look for you? I mean, the best sort of central thing is davidwayne.com, W-A-I-N. Um, and then from there, you can find my Instagram and TikTok and whatever the hell else I'm trying to do these days. <laughs> All the things. Awesome. All the things. Good um, always great you. to check in with you. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, um, me, keep me posted on, uh, on how things go with NB Ultra. Your feedback is important to us. I do. I do post feedback all the time. Yeah, you're awesome. Um, but what? any other new software stuff coming? Oh, I, 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 I went down this rabbit hole. I wrote this app called Bunch. Yeah. That is like uh, like batch automation for Macs. Uh, yeah. Like you, can, in it, you can write a text file and just write out the names of five different apps. And when you click the bunch, it'll launch those five apps. But it can okay. also quit apps or launch apps in groups, add delays, 
uh, run commands like turn on do not disturb or switch to dark mode. Like you can do all this with just a text file. And, yeah. and you just have a bunch of text files in a directory and it gives you a menu up in your menu bar. You click it and you get a list of all the bunches that you have set up and you click one and it runs. And I got a little a little insane with with expanding on that. So that's good. It's it's bordering on unhealthy right now. Like All it was right. awesome for a, for a while, and and I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of users, and a lot of people were offering me feedback and even sending donations because I put it out for free. Mm -hmm. um, but then I I don't know I the last week I feel like I I created more bugs than I have time to fix, but it's become an obsession. Like I lose sleep over these bugs I've created. I get it. We all go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> I don't know that I I don't know that I'm itching for that use case for for that particular app, but I know that there are people that would probably. Yeah. Just feel like I don't do enough things regularly to have systems like that. Yeah. Enough of the same thing. See, and now now like my instinct is how can I make this useful for David Wayne? Go try. Just See, I dare you to you're try. Feeding my addiction. Did you um? Do you do sorted? Sorted. I saw that you mentioned it on your website once. The, um, oh, oh, the sorted cubed task manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, no, I didn't do that. No, I mean, did you? Have you tried it, or do you? Oh, use it? I've, I've, I've opened it and played with it enough to to feel comfortable giving a recommendation for it. I think I tried it, and I think it it doesn't work for me. No, it's too weird. But I do still think there's a there's a there's still a hole, or they could fix it maybe. But I think a good time blocking software that is easier to use than sorted or more straightforward would be better. De define time blocking. Uh... Well, for example, what I've been doing lately is I you know occasionally I like to to look at tomorrow and say okay minute by minute here's here's the plan. And so, you know, I'm going to work on this thing for 20 minutes and I'm going to do this for 45 minutes and blah, blah, blah. Just so I feel like I have structure when I don't actually have structure. And sorted is exactly designed for that, but it's, I don't, I just don't like the way it works in almost any way. Um, <laughs> and, and this week's sponsor. Well, there you go. But then, and then fantastic Cal is closer in terms of just being a simple calendar program where you can, what I like about the concept is you're taking your tasks for the day and your calendar items and they're in one place in one view, you know, cause your tasks, all tasks take time. And so, but some, some tasks are tasks that are truly, you know, they have to get done, but if they don't get done when you plan on it, it's fine. And others are like really calendar items that are like it's something's happening or it's not on that moment. So seeing it all in one place is so much better. And so like this is what's missing from something like things, but works in just a calendar app like Fantastica where you can then see your reminders in there. Um, but it's still not really designed for that kind of time blocking. And it's still it's somebody could make one that's really works for this particular way of thinking, which I know a lot of people do. And they would get my money. <laughs> if anyone listening has a suggestion or wants to take on the project, you know where to yeah. find us. Thank you. Yeah. 
I, I, I don't like, I like my task list to be a little more abstract. I, I tried like actually like writing out today's tasks on a calendar and saying, I'm going to do this for an hour and this for an hour and this for an hour and this for an hour, even though they didn't have due dates and they weren't time sensitive and it did not work for my brain at all. You got to do what works for your brain. That's number one rule. Uh, that's for me. That's the only rule. Yeah, true. I absolutely cannot. I cannot make my brain do things it doesn't want to do. Well, I realized after a while of proselytizing to a lot of people about a lot of things that, you know, everyone is so different in the way their brains work and you cannot overlay your system on somebody else. And when I let go of that, it made my whole way of working with people and living with people much easier. Did it make it harder for you to listen to other people sell like their, their, uh, Not, like market this, this idea that they can fix people if you use their system? Well, to be honest, I was the biggest one who was doing that all the time in my <laughs> world. And so I, no one was ever as loud as me. And so when I shut up, I just, there was nice quiet. <laughs> just, just <went> silent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good talking to you. Listen, always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, try me again in, uh, 2026. 2026. We'll, we'll get you your, uh, your fifth, fifth episode jacket. I feel like we'll, we'll be just grounding the end of COVID-19 and it'll be a good time to talk about how we're going to move on with life at that point. <laughs> we'll be ready for, uh, COVID-22. Yeah. Every yeah. so often though, I, yeah. Every so often I just pull up your website cause I know there's going to be something that's going to be like, Oh, that'll, that's, that's a rabbit hole. I'm going to go down. Same. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, I will, uh, talk to you again soon. I want, I want to uh, say one thing to you, yeah. to your listeners directly to them, not to you. I hope that all of you have a great day. That's it. <laughs> all right. Hey, thanks for tuning in to systematic. Check out more episodes at systematicpod.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Find me as TT Scoff on all social platforms and follow Systematic at Systemcast, S-Y-S-T-M-C-A-S-T on Twitter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>